0: All right, welcome to episode 31 of Expanding Beyond. Uh, today is a special day uh, because we have our second guest with us. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, so uh, today we have uh, Franziska Hauck with us. She, I, I've been a pretty bad um, um, podcast uh, co-host, I think, because I just uh, follow her on Twitter and um, thought I would want to interview her uh, for the podcast or talk to her and didn't really prepare um. So I will hand <laughs> over to Monica <laughs> for a bit of a better introduction.
1: Hello, everyone. Um, I'm also kind of bad too, in the sense that, like with you, Urban, I don't exactly recall how I came across uh, Francisca. I might. I think I might have seen her in some talks uh, on YouTube, or or uh, just happened to uh, stumble on her uh, Twitter profile. And I just thought that it would be an incredible addition to my feed, to my uh, bubble, uh, exactly because she doesn't fit exactly my bubble. Uh, Francisca is an amazing uh, manager, from what I can read, Uh, she is juggling. We will figure it out, but I don't know exactly how many people and. What I really appreciate is the fact that she has managed to uh, be successful in a role and in, a, in an industry that is not particularly kind with people that don't have a strict technical background. So I'm uh, incredibly interested in uh, in having her here today and share what, what she knows and, and how she, d- she did it, because I think it's an incredible feat. <laughs> Uh, so, welcome, Francisca. Thank you so much for being here with us today.
2: Hello, hello. I'm super, super happy to be on the podcast, and uh, yeah, looking forward to our conversation.
1: Francisca, would you like to uh, give our audience a, a bit of a description of uh, who you are, how you, um, uh, where do you work, uh, and how did how did you get here?
2: Of course, yeah. Uh, so, as you described in my full time job, I'm a so called people lead. And that is essentially a, I, I could describe it as a non-technical manager of a technical team, right? So um, people leads usually have one to three teams per person and uh, the number of reports we can get to in a second. Um, but yes. yeah, so this is, my, this is my day job essentially. And I work at Signavio and Signavio was recently acquired by SAP. So we are in the process of being integrated there, which is also quite interesting, of course, as a manager to accompany this process, right? Yeah. So apart from my day job, I also do consult uh, with and for companies, um, of course, based on my expertise. And you mentioned uh, me having a non-technical background, while I always work with engineers. What is also uh, what 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 is for me astonishing when I think about it is. I, I come from a non-HR background as well. So for years, mm-hmm. I focused on community management and I was involved in building up communities. And in this, I closely work with engineers. So i always had close contact with engineers and concepting together with them, brainstorming together with them and so forth. And this is also a good or was a good way for me to get to know the industry and to get to know the people that work in tech. Um, and not ex- not just exclusively engineers, right? I also work yeah. with POs. I also work with with analysts and so forth. But all of this gave me a really, really good good insight and understanding, and ultimately led me to where I am today. And to make sure that I have a good grounding for this, I also uh, qualified as a coach and as a mediator over the last year. So I have a formal coaching and a formal mediation qualification. That's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, and, and 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 the mediation qualification is even something that is codified by law. So mm-hmm. I have the right now to call myself a certif- certified mediator, which essentially means that I have training according to a specified schedule, and I am basically allowed by law to conduct mediations.
1: Okay, I mean, yeah, very often as a, as a as a manager and as a people lead at, at this point on uh, to this day. There is this uh, huge stress on the fact that you should be able to uh, to coach and you should be focused on the relationships of the people in your team. So I think that spending even more time on on those aspects and getting certifications can I mean it's not the certification per se, but uh, the training uh, for it is extremely useful in uh, in our job.
2: Yeah, and it changed my my approach to things significantly. Even if you look, just look at it from a numbers point of view, the, the number of positions that advertise, for example, for agile coaching, they have risen mm-hmm. so much over the last years, right? So when I look at the job market, I see them popping up left and right. But as you mentioned, the understanding of management, we are in a new work structure or we are moving at least <laughs> to a new work yes. structure. And this this old antiquated understanding of a manager has to be directive and a manager has to know everything, that's outdated. And you move over to having managers as supporters, as cheerleaders, as coaches, as people that essentially are there to enable you to be successful in what you do. And that see you as a as a whole person, not just as the person who does this and that. And because you bring your full self to work, well, ideally you should do yes. that. And having all these coaching techniques helps me immensely. And I always joke that I have engineers draw, right? But <laughs> 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 and, and they do that. I mean, they do do architectural drawing, so it's not that new. Um, but it, it helps so much to visualize things and to even think about things other than code. Because when you look at technical teams, they work, they, they, the collaboration is very close and you have to be yeah. very, very efficient in the collaboration. So coaching on that enables them to be better at it, right? Not that they are not good at it already, they are. Uh, but it helps them a lot to reflect on what their personal stance is, how their collaboration works with the other person, with the whole team. So I re- I, that is the part of my job that I enjoy immensely: mm-hmm. being able to support my people in their personal, individual progression, but also to support the whole team and collaborating better with each other.
1: I've used the term um, non-technical. Would do you think that this is a is a good term to uh, to describe <laughs> it as a as a role?
2: yeah, uh, I, I do get that question quite a lot um, because <laughs> we often have scenarios right where where people are put in sort of this corner of oh, they're non-technical and it sounds like like it sounds like a bad d- description. I do feel okay with it. I think it's it's a good designation and it describes it well. I at times I describe myself as maybe a hands of manager because when I talk to engineering ah. managers, like classical engineering managers, right? and we talk and we exchange about what we do, we we essentially to 80, 90% do the same things. The yes. only difference being that some engineering managers are heavily involved in delivery leadership. Or some engineering managers still code a little bit. Uh, some engineering managers have other tasks and so forth, maybe are a bit more involved in product. There is like this this really good distinction. There's a model um, that I recently looked at. But essentially 80, 90%, it's about the people and it's about enabling the team. So there is a lot of overlap between a people lead and an engineering manager, which is for me a kind of confirmation that um, a lot of the things we do, you know, I essentially go into the same direction. A hands-off manager probably describes it really well, uh, but also the terminology itself, people lead. You are essentially a lead of people, whether that's in one team or several teams. And um, you need to have, you don't need to be able to, to code and you don't need to be able to understand everything fully in order Mm -hmm. to be able to support. Um, And that's, that's essentially, I mean, it's, it's beneficial, of course, and you should kind of speak the lingo and understand the challenges uh, because obviously you're also the hiring manager uh, for the teams. So that's really beneficial. And I've made it my business to understand better in cases where I didn't. Um, But yeah, um, essentially I see a lot of overlap and it's, at the end of the day, for me, this is very motivating to think about that.
1: I guess that partially engineering managers feel the need to be technical because it's their own need. You are an engineer, that's why you got into the, into the field. It's exactly what you were saying about uh, the lingo and the challenges because uh, how can you help people having better processes or um, collaborating better? If you don't know exactly what they're going through, I mean, exactly, not to the T, but you get what I mean. And the lingo definitely is uh, is important. As a as a hiring manager, it's uh, one of the things that probably helps you the most. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, and I've, I've seen it also as a kind of establishing people leads is, is kind of the answer to two things that you're looking at in tech. And one of them is that it often in companies, management seemed to be the next step, the next career step, mm-hmm. right? You didn't have any IC careers. Uh, that was one thing. And then the other step is you, I, 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 I've met a lot of amazing engineering managers in my lifetime, people that could code amazingly and were amazing coaches on top of that. And I was like, wow, this is, this is so cool. Like, how can you do all of that? But that's essentially a striking gold. Oftentimes mm-hmm. you don't have people that have this this whole profile and they're not supposed to have that. They are supposed to feel comfortable with, or they, they are supposed to have the opportunities to have, uh, for example, IC careers. And with that and having people leads and having people that have dedicated coaching experience and have a dedicated outlook on the people side of things. You essentially kind of also uh, reduce, well, not reduce, but you transform the responsibilities. For example, of lead engineers or staff engineers, right? Yes. And that, and that. I mean, I, I still closely work with them. Without my functional leads, I wouldn't be able to, to you know, do my job well. I need their input, um, and and they need mine, obviously. But essentially, having this role, you tackle a lot of the challenges that we have seen coming up over the last, let's say, five to 10 years, specifically when it comes to careers and specifically when it comes to enabling teams. And this is a concept that even transcend- transcends engineering, and I've seen it implemented somewhere else, sometimes with a little bit of less of a personal touch, which I don't like mm. personally. So there are people leads that have 50 people reporting to them, but they don't do anything else but have infrequent feedback talks with them and collecting feedback and, and and basically doing the framework of things, but the actual work happens in the team still. So you need to be close to the people to a certain degree to be able to understand them, to accompany them in their progression and so forth. But what I've always liked was the fact that I feel like I, I work hand-in-hand hand with my engineers because when I do the <sighs> admin stuff, they are like, oh yeah, okay, she's doing that. I don't have to take care of that. That's great. <laughs> and I actually <laughs> like it, so.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sort of what I noticed is that it sort of also plays hand in hand with this, this uh, direction of self-organizing teams, I would say, because then if you are this traditional manager, what are you going to do if sort of the team subsumes some of your responsibilities, basically, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you sort of, I don't know, cut back to the, basically the topics that the team can't or won't handle themselves, basically.
2: And it has a lot to do with trust as well. I cannot operate without having trust in my team members. And I hire my team members to do their job. So it's it, it, these two things go hand in hand as well for me. And it's like whenever, for example, I hire for a specific position. And uh, up until recently, I had a pipeline that it was exclusive to my team and to me as a hiring manager. So no one else was recruiting for that pipeline. And the only way I could understand this well was by talking to the team members and getting to know the demands and the challenges and all of that, and then translate that into job descriptions, right? So you have to have trust, and this is essentially what we're all working towards to have environments of trust.
0: I think it comes up in our our discussions, Monica, all the time. As, yes, as well that in, the, in in the end it comes down to trust, right? Because that mm-hmm. influences so much, and just you can't even have a really well performing team if if People feel that they are not trusted. Yeah, what absolutely. To do.
1: Absolutely, uh, I can totally relate to the feeling of a hands-on manager that uh, delegates most of the tasks to the team that is self-organizing, and then it's like, oh my god, what am I supposed to do now? I'm useless. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm trying to replicate it with my new team. Let's see how how well I'm gonna do that. <laughs> But for a split second, uh, before I was uh, leaving my previous company, I was like, "I don't
2: know, I have,
1: yeah, I don't have anything to do. This is so weird." Um, yeah, I,
2: I, I cannot say the same thing because no, I had true, for yeah. a time. Yeah, for a time, I had three teams, and then uh, I had two teams again. But then I went up to twenty-four reports for a couple oh, of months. Lord. And I had, like, my my highlight was, I think, six onboardings within a month or so. And (laughs) while most of the hands-on work is done by the team, of course, I need to plan, I need to coordinate, and so forth. And, um, by the way, I also managed to get up the rate of women in our team from, uh, what was it, around about 20% to 40% uh, during this period. I'm I'm super, super happy, yeah. Uh, It also depends on the pipeline. You cannot say that for every pipeline, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But like that time and, 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 and coordinating all of that. So I, I wouldn't say that I was bored in any way. Like I, <laughs> I, I, there was, there was always something to do. And when you have 24 people, obviously they come in with everything that they bring onto the table. And that includes sometimes not just work related stuff. Right. And you talk about that as well. Yes. And so you have to you have a lot of context switches as well and you want to be present and you want to be fully focused when you have your one on one with the team member so i yeah like looking for tasks was the last worry that i had so
1: <laughs> i was about that. to say like work will fill the void uh, so <laughs> no worries uh, and if i have to think rationally about it i mean of course i would have a ton of stuff to do like yeah. to name one that you just said onboarding like the onboarding on my team was a less than uh, optimal so i could have for example put some more effort in that um uh, developer experience a bunch of different things uh, it's just that you know during the heat of the firefighting it's like oh my god oh my god oh my god and but th- then... that's
2: that's the thing where i we had lots of iterations over the last year mm-hmm. so when i started out i also had a rudimentary idea of how to onboard people and i think the first two onboardings did not go really well and then with every person that onboarded we learned and we learned and we learned and we had postmortems about it and so forth and uh, now we have this like Catalog-like approach. This is what a person in backend should have as sessions. This is what a person in front end should have, and so forth. And it it gets more automated, even though it doesn't get automated. Right? You could still automate more things in the onboarding, specifically when you are in hyper growth. But at least we have a good understanding now of what's what's the challenge, what needs to be addressed in those first weeks, and. Also, what specifically pertains to our group and our teams, because that's also different in in every organization. You have a specific environment, specific challenges per group, per team, per area. And you also need to be aware of that. So, yeah, I've mm-hmm. had uh, lots of learnings when it comes to onboarding over the last one and a half years, <laughs> from junior to lead onboarding. Uh, PO onboarding, um, making sure that, PO onboarding, I did a lot of PO onboarding as well. I I just onboarded a new colleague who essentially does the same thing as me. So you just, you get so, so fit and, you know, you, you feel like you could get woken up at 3 a.m. in the morning and you could deliver that session, right? And then yeah. it would just, you would just run with it. So this is what happens. This is the effect that you see. And I'm super happy that my teams were so flexible and so embracing of the process and embracing of the people that joined. And yeah, I cannot underestimate the pride that I have when when I think about that, how well they did over the last month, specifically being in remote settings, specifically while being in amidst a global pandemic and all of that stuff. So yeah, super, super happy and super proud of my teams. Did you have a lot of support from HR in shaping this onboarding I would say with us HR is a bit more hands off when it okay. comes to engineering but I've I've extensively exchanged with HR on other matters Extensively. I I always say it would be lost without my HR business partner. Mm-hmm. She's the best. So yeah, big thank you to her. But what I what I find even more interesting, and that is consistently fed back to me by the new joiners, is yes, to have it super organized is really great. To have a plan for the first two, three weeks, right? You have everything scheduled, everything uh is, is placed before you and you just uh, approach it. You have the intro sessions, you get to know the team members via them, and you also have one-on-ones with the team members. You have introductions to the product. That's also important. Mm-hmm. You get to meet stakeholders that are outside of the team, depending, obviously, on your role and when in seniority. When I have a lead engineer onboarding, I tell them, hey, it's really good and, and beneficial for you to establish those relationships outside of the team. But the core thing that I always circle back to, independent of new joiner, independent of role, independent of seniority, is that sense of belonging that people. Have or not have in those first weeks when they come on, and yeah, it's it, it, it it's it's a consistent factor. I've had we, we probably you you had that too that people coming on and then they are afraid to take sick days in case they get sick in those mm-hmm. first weeks because they they are just so traumatized and so afraid from previous experiences that they had to be present, they had to be there. So this is one of the first things that I address with them. I have this, this people lead intro with every new joiner where I go through the most important things. And one of my first messages is always, if you need to take a sick day, then please take a sick day. This is important for your health and your health is number one. And I uh, also tell parents, your child is sick, please take a childcare day. It's important. you know. Family is number one. And to have that and to have also that feeling that they can bring their full selves to work that is something that yeah I've I've seen consistently and specifically with my team or the team that I that I uh, have now um, is we have lots of backgrounds in the team ten plus nationalities we have as I mentioned we we uh, raise the number of women mm. in the team so we have lots of different representations and of course you also there are also challenges associated with that but the good thing about that is that you can kind of in, in, in quotation marks, feel different, but still mm-hmm. feel part of the team because there's so much diversity in the team already that you feel like, oh, it's, you, I know, I'm adding another country to the rota, yay. And then we yes. celebrate that and we're like, yay, another country that add, that is added. And and that is just, that you cannot replace that, right? That's coming onto the team and being embraced with what you have and who you are, so essential. And you you can look at that in tech, you can look at that in any other industry, but in tech, I feel it's particularly important because the teams, the way they work together, when you pair with each other, when you need to take decisions together, you need to be synced in a way. You need to be bonded to each other in a way. And if you don't have that feeling of belonging then everything else will be very difficult to handle because you lack psychological safety to provide suggestions, to come up with new ideas and so forth. So yeah, if I break it down, this is the most essential thing in onboarding. And I could probably give a lot of other examples and other, you know, scenarios where where it breaks down to a specific point or a specific experience that people have, but yeah, it's it's one of those threads that go through with every new joiner and every onboarding, and also very important for me. I have my experiences, and I would want to have a feeling of being embraced when I come onto a new team.
1: It, it's it again. It, it goes back to what we were saying before about trust. The sooner,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, usually teams go through this uh, four phases, right? Like so, whenever someone joins or leaves a the team, there's this um, uh, forming phase, and then there's the storming phase, and you want the storming phase to be as short as possible. And in order to have that, one of the things you need to do is this during the forming phase to uh, encourage people to uh, to become as close as possible. Because then the storming becomes really just, you know, some hiccups here and there, but the underlying base of, and these people respect me, they accept me, so we might not see always eye to eye, but th- that's okay. We still have to figure out how to communicate with each other. But fundamentally, there is a basic uh, layer of being humans that that uh, is there. Absolutely. Speaking of trust, um, you have a very specific uh, management style. Uh, Urban has uh, defined it as uh, empathetic. Um,
0: yeah, this was sort of the, uh, when I read uh, what you write on Twitter, this is sort of the thing that that stands out to me that you really you're not j- just there to manage I don't know people so that they do their work but you also look at the, the basically the human behind it That's the sort of the, the the way I it's, it's very I, I feel that very strongly when I when I read what you write
2: oh that moves me thank you <laughs> and it's yeah it's it's one of the most important things in my life, I would say even, um, and and it comes for me. It comes from a position. I I have very traumatic experiences. I the 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 things that I've encountered in my career were very traumatic for me. And I've always felt that um, in in beforehand when I was leading functionally, and now when I lead disciplinarily, I've always felt that people should feel comfortable first of all. They should feel like they can be themselves. And not just feel that they, they they come to work and they know they can be themselves. And I've had a lot of tough conversations on that topic as well, because, Monica, you just described it really well. You come from different um, angles, and sometimes you come to a point where you're like, let's agree to disagree. And that happens all the time. And you still need to build that bridge. But what mm-hmm. for me is, is very important, and um, we uh, use the terminology human-centered leadership. That's essentially what it's called, human-centered leadership. And it has a, a couple of characteristics to it that I wouldn't even say are exclusive to me, like active listening, uh, showing empathy, as you mentioned, Orbán, um, creating a sense of belonging, sending out those signals, uh, contributing to establishing psychological safety in the team. But what I would say is I probably contribute my own specific magic to it. And that, for me, comes from the, the motivation that I tick a couple of boxes when it comes to diversity dimensions. Mm-hmm. And I have the experiences that relate to that. So I have a lot of shared understandings with my team members as well, because I can relate to what they have been through and I can signal to them that they can be safe with that. I have a, I have a policy, for example, that let's, let's suppose somebody is frustrated. They can come to my one-on-one and they can curse. I don't mind. <laughs> and then I say, OK, you can curse for five or 10 minutes and then we'll just summarize and then we'll go on the rational level again and we'll look at it. From the rational <laughs> level. But first of all, you can curse. I don't curse at work, but they can curse. That's my that's my policy. And some actually did use that opportunity so they know that they can just phrase it as they see it. And I will not judge them for it, but I will say is, okay, you, you let it out now, let's break it down and <laughs> let's look at it uh, with, with like a rational eye, right? Let's, let's look at all the facets and all the, the, the dimensions and then we'll, we'll tackle it. And that's also, I think, one of the things that characterizes me. I'm very pragmatic at the end of the day. So you can go for fancy solutions and sometimes that makes a lot of sense, but whatever works for the person works for the person and everybody is an expert for themselves. I'm not going to tell them, oh, you know, this is this is how you should do it and so forth. I had a couple of people that came up to me and they shared with me that they are on the neurodivergent spectrum, or they they assume that they are on the neurodivergent spectrum. And who am I to tell them how they work? They know themselves the best. And what but what I can say as a manager is, okay, help me understand you. So is there anything that I can do from my end? Let's say in, in in the team setting, in the team context, or in our relationship, that would help you. That maybe maybe I don't know this because I I I am misophonic, but I don't think that this is considered to be on the neurodivergent uh, spectrum. But in any case, I can listen and I can ask questions and I can make sure that I. At the end of the day, also benefit from the expertise. I Again, I hire my team members because they're experts. They're experts for their subject and they're experts for themselves. And sometimes that requires also to work that out to, to a coaching session or something similar to work out, okay, what are we actually looking at? But still, I trust what they mirror back to me. And I work with that. And sometimes that works well for me. And sometimes that doesn't work well for me. And then I need to learn as well. And I need to listen to the feedback. So that sense of openness is also very important I think So yeah I would, that's how I would summarize my, my special magic, I would say <laughs> and the, the, <laughs> the icing on top of the cake that, that makes my management style uniquely my management style. Um, yeah and and from what I hear from my team members, they appreciate it a lot.
1: And I mean this is why we need uh, uh, diversity in our in our teams because then you have people that can relate better. To uh, um, yeah. the challenges that each one of us, no matter how, air quotes, normal we are, um, but each one of us has its own, uh, their own set of challenges. And, uh, and when you have walked in someone else's shoes, it's easier to have this approach of wa- working together towards a solution instead of having this wall-to-wall And this is how you should behave.
2: But Monica, I need to jump in here. That does not take away from sometimes needing to take tough decisions. Um, I Mm -hmm. I don't want to say a hard leadership or a hard management style because I I don't really like that word. But there will be scenarios and there will be situations where you have only a limited overview of information uh, or you have only limited understanding of something or there will be a situation where you have a lot of understanding and you still need to take a tough decision. That is just as much part of management as are the good things. Yes. And these are the things that oftentimes managers and particularly first-time managers struggle with. That side, we need to see that too. So there is there's a whole range of things that you do as a manager, you do passionately, but you also need to do as a manager. And what you try to do is you always try to break it down to the decision that is best for the people involved. And if, it, if you have to narrow it down to a number to the most people involved. Uh, more, <laughs> most recently, I had I had to actually over the last year, I had to uh, decide which teams to hand over to new colleagues. And uh, yeah. either way, you will disappoint people. Uh, people have built up a relationship with you. They have shared things with you. They have shown themselves to be vo- vulnerable with you. You, you then after a couple of months tell them, well, there's a new colleague coming and they will take care of you now. It's like, oh. so in my case, I looked at various factors. I think in, in both decisions, I had about 15 factors I looked at and I, I made it a little bit more analytical or systematic. Mm-hmm. And I looked at, for example, how many people would be affected uh, by the change and some, some other factors as well. And that ultimately helped me in deciding where to go. But yeah, it's we shouldn't underestimate that this, in quotation mark, tough part of management is there. And it's absolutely part of the work.
1: Yeah, I mean, to some extent, it's still a job, right? Yeah. Uh, so you still have to make those uh, calculations, uh, considerations, they have to be there. And the teams and the people uh, you lead will have different needs. And sometimes it's not possible to conciliate mm-hmm. all of them. Uh, so uh, that's when the time comes for tough decisions, absolutely. Yeah. I have, I'll probably phrase this question terribly. Uh, so uh, I beg everybody's pardon uh, for <laughs> for this, but it's, a, it's something that I've been thinking a lot lately. So my previous experience with my team was that we were diverse to some extent. One thing that I was very proud was uh, that I had, one of the team members telling me that they were feeling good in the team, even if they were far more introverted than anyone else uh, in the team, because she saw that there was another person that was also introvert in the team, and it was fine not to speak up. I ended up by, I wouldn't say necessarily by chance, but I didn't really factor that aspect into uh, the decision of hiring these two people into my team. But in hindsight I'm super happy I uh, mm. I did that. And now I'm building basically a new team from scratch and I'm really trying to figure out what is the best configuration for this team. Who are the best people to hire in this team? I have faced a couple of people in interviews where I don't immediately click with them because we are we communicate even on so in, in such on such a different register. And I always ask myself if I'm not. So I I see it as, and this person might not be the best fit because the communication pattern is not where I want it to be. But then my question to myself is, am I really being honest about it? Is it because this person doesn't really click with me and with my way of interacting? Have you ever felt uh, this way is there any advice that you can uh give me and other people out there that uh, face themselves with the same question
2: uh, when you described that i was like yeah all the time <laughs> <laughs> all the time <laughs> like when when you look at it with our hyper growth i ha, I, I actually timed it and and i took notes but i had over the last month two to six interviews per week that i met. Mm-hmm uh either as co-interviewer or as as only interviewer. So you get into a specific routine. And th- this is the age or questions of do I only people do I only hire people that I like, right? Um uh, mm-hmm. we, we see this embodied, embodied, particularly in the startup world where you have what was the last number? I think 86% or so of uh male found male founding teams. And it, you, you you click well with people that you feel are like you. That's what happens. Yeah. That's essentially what, what it boils down to. So I've had the I, I constantly have this where I feel like, okay, is it is it me? Is are we just not clicking, but would this person be a good addition and so forth? And what I love about my company is that we have frameworks. We have seniority oh. frameworks, we have we have interview frameworks and so forth. So I have something to go by. I also contribute to that obviously and, and 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 other colleagues contribute to that so it's it's a living living thing. And it helps a lot in questioning my biases. I mean, I also know what my biases are, right? I like I, I can tell you exactly what biases <laughs> I'm aware of. There might be biases that I'm not aware of, but I do know the the two three biases that consistently are with me because of my educa- because of how I was raised and so forth. But yeah, it it helps a lot in checking yourself against those standards. Is it a perfect Mm -hmm. approach? No, it's not. But it helps to reduce your bias. And it also helps uh, before you go into the interview to reflect on your biases, to think about what are your actual biases. And uh, ironically, it helps to to think about the bias that you have before you go into the interview. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the tip that I would probably give people to... Make sure that you reflect on your biases constantly in all the interactions you have with people, and you also reflect on: Is it it am I promoting somebody because I'm I, I like them because they are, I vibe with them really well? Is it is it am I doing that? Um, it could be, and if it is, then it's good for you to question yourself and to take the adequate actions out of it. It also helps to have people shadowing you. We mm-hmm. do this not enough, but we. Uh, recently, for example, when I handed over to a new colleague, what we did was we had a practice where they came on to my one-on-ones and shadowed me. And then in turn, I shadowed them. And we do that with interviewing. We do that with one-on-ones and and, and that helps a lot because you have a person there who's in the same role as you and also has their experiences and their qualifications and looks at you and gives you feedback, constructive and positive feedback. And gives you some kind of indicator of who, how how was I doing? Was that okay? Of course, with one-on-ones, you always have to have the consent of the person yes. that is the, the center of the one-on-one. Otherwise, I would never do it. I would never just get a colleague to a one-on-one. Same for interviewing. People that go into the interviews know beforehand that there is more than one person. And then we also explain the scenario where like, okay, this person is my new colleague so-and-so and they are shadowing and they want to get some experience before they join the interview rota and, and, and so forth. So yeah, I think consistently questioning yourself, reflecting on yourself, not doing it too much as well, because otherwise you will, you will not go well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you will be cons- like, you, there is this danger of going into imposter syndrome and questioning yourself too much. That's also not healthy. But doing it in a consistently rational way. For me, I had, when I was suffering badly from imposter syndrome, what helped me a lot was to actually break it down to the rational level and to take a step back and to look at it from the eyes of another person. How would another person see that? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, I, I'm not saying that cures imposter syndrome, it will probably always be there in, in, a, in a certain degree. But Knowing, yeah, knowing this is what I do well, this is what I also do well, this is what I do well. And then at the same time, uh, also questioning myself and having that healthy mixture. For me, that has worked wonders. I cannot say if it works for somebody else this way, but that's definitely the advice that I would give you. And uh, yeah, just feedback from your team members. Yeah. Again, they're experts. They are the experts. They see you interacting with the team every single day get back to your team members and ask them, how was this? Give me constructive, give me positive feedback. And the thing here is a lot of team members will not give you constructive feedback because of course you're the manager. I, can't, I cannot give constructive feedback to my manager. That's the general feeling. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have to create an atmosphere where they feel comfortable to do so. And how do you do that? They need to see that they provide you with feedback and you actually change something following that. So you need to demonstrate that you have actions following words. And you also need to cycle back to that psychological safety and that they feel comfortable in telling you, yeah, that was not well done. And I would have done that differently. Okay, good. Then I'll take that on and I'll think about it. And I think how I can implement that going forward. So there are a couple of ways and means to create your own system of checks and balances inside a company, which is not a perfect system, but it works to a certain degree and ensures that the level of fairness is a bit higher than it would normally be.
1: Speaking of um, what you just described, you know, like this uh, continuous feedback that you should elicit from uh, from your team members and the people around you, that is one of the tools that I use, hopefully successfully, to um, grow besides, you know, like figuring out what are the next steps for my career or uh, how I would like to uh, spend the next uh, 10 years and stuff like that. Because as much as I agree with... Uh, my former boss, that you are you and you should be genuinely you. Uh, I also do believe that uh, in order to be introspective enough, uh, self-aware enough, you have to take this bath of uh, humility, uh, like you just (laughs) said today on, on, on Twitter, and accept the fact that what you do is not always the right thing. What other? What are the ways in which you uh, grow? Uh, in which you uh, you take care of your growth uh, as a person and as a leader? Do you uh, do you goals about setting goals, or uh, do you have other frameworks uh, that that help you with that?
2: I'm probably a really bad example when it comes to growth, <laughs> like planning growth. Uh, because A for one I live with two chronic illnesses that are badly researched so anything that I do beyond one or two years planning is just not realistic because I never Mm. know how my body will be at that point so yeah, I'm very like I, I was told when I was 18 years old that oh you could die any minute by a heart attack or an embolia okay. or a stroke, but th- the likelihood is higher that you will live a very, very long and bad life. and I'm like, okay, good, good to know.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> thank you. Awesome news. Uh- <laughs> thank you
2: doctor. Wonderful. So I I, I think I, I approach life a bit differently than others do from this mm-hmm. perspective and I've always let myself, float a little bit in a way, but that also was actually kind of genius because I, I that way I got opportunities and then I leveraged those. So I would probably more see it as try to build up a network and try to build up relationships that will give you opportunities because they don't just come around like that. You need to create them for yourself, either directly or indirectly. And then once they come around, give it a good hard think of whether you want to leverage them or not. And if you're all in, then go all in and do that and, and follow follow the rainbow to the pot of gold. Um, <laughs> and if you're if you're not feeling comfortable, if you know you have a gut feeling that says, ah, oh, better sit this one out, then that's also okay. That's also just perfectly fine. I have I see a lot of people that have changed their career or have taken different paths. And specifically in Germany, this is not often honored in a way. You have to have linear careers and so forth. But I think that the things that you learn along those pathways are just so amazing. And I would encourage that very much to try yourself out and try to to see various perspectives in life. I don't have, let's say, a five to 10 years plan or something like that. I do have obviously things that I short and midterm want to achieve. And um, I'm, I'm working on those. But other than that, yeah. And company-wise... I mentioned the frameworks, we do have frameworks, so that Mm -hmm. gives a good orientation in, okay, if I want to increase my seniority, what are the expectations uh, towards me? So I have a good understanding and you can map it out for yourself together with your people lead and uh, you can, yeah, just, um, I, I, I did a couple of progression plans, for example, for my team members. So I always tell them, okay, this is what we have in the feedback now. This is where you head. This is what the, the next seniority level would be. This is how we map out your journey from A to B. And this does not of, obviously guarantee a promotion, but yes. it definitely shows the way towards a promotion and, and, and how they can develop and also challenge themselves positively. So, yeah, I always see it as a manager. I always see it from two sides, right? I see it from my personal yes. development, but I also see it in terms of my team members and, and what how I can enable them. But yeah i I wouldn't say I'm a good example. I'm just not very stringent in this kind of stuff
0: yeah it's good good to hear that because i'm I'm the same way and I've noticed that there are many people that that shy away from actually trying out stuff instead sort of yeah there's been multiple times where I thought, yeah, maybe I should give that a try, but I'm sure someone else has already asked right because it's a mm. such an obvious thing to try and then <laughs> I realize I'm sort of the first one and sort of. I think that a part of it is that you just have to give it a try. I mean, I tried being a manager too. I <laughs> did it for almost a year, and then I realized that's not my thing. By now, I know why, <laughs> because I'm slightly <laughs> autistic, and that is just not uh, a job for me. Uh, sort of trying to understand people all day, basically—that's super hard for me, of course. But I gave it a try, and now as a as a just a, as a developer, I actually have the somewhat of an understanding of what the, what the job is and, and why, they, mm-hmm. why this is happening and what they are doing. And I think that already helped, yeah. at least helps me a lot, my team, hopefully.
2: That, that sounds amazing. And when you mentioned that, it just became clear to me that I was very clear on the fact that I did know that I have a knack for managing people. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get back to that. Yeah. Um, because I knew what I could give to team members and what I would get in return. And yeah, a lot of context switches per day are challenging, but <laughs> up to a certain degree, I thrive on it. that. <laughs> I thrive on that, and uh, yeah, and uh, that definitely was was something that I had in mind, that I had in my plans. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess in the room, uh, the three of us are not very good at uh, our own growth plans. and it was a selfish question <laughs> from my side. I was like, okay, maybe she has figured that out. <laughs>
2: but but that's the thing like w- when i talk to my team members most of them actually have a very very clear understanding where they want to go I and know, how they right? want to go about it that's it i have such a respect for that i mean i'm i'm either way i'm fine it's as long as they know how what works for them and we can work with that right but just knowing that we come to a one-on-one and then somebody comes in and they're like, yeah, I, in a couple of years, I want to be that and I want to reach that and I want to dive into this and that topic. Wow, that's super cool. Let's let's tackle it one by one. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I draw my hat for that. This is cool.
0: Yeah, I find those questions always super hard because I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm currently where I'm at. It's It's fine. I don't need to grow for a bit. Uh, and then we'll see where it goes from there, I guess.
1: I found it easier to uh, to help people figuring that out than to figure that out for myself. I don't know why.
0: Yeah, but I think it's also a good point um, to have this, this sort of structure in place at your company where you say, hey, if you're here and you want to get there, then these are the things uh, you should look at. I think that also mm-hmm. helps a lot.
2: But the thing is, and I'm circling back to the topic of diversity, is realistically, very realistically, as a woman in tech, it's not easy. And you, you just have to look at the numbers. And yeah. the, the ones that do, in quotation marks, make career are few and far in between. And this is something that obviously I've studied systemically, uh, also n- not, not just for the greater good, but also a little bit for myself. Because I wanted to see the patterns. What are the patterns, and why are they happening? And it's very intriguing to see it to see the the numbers, to see it boil down to the numbers, but also to see the psychological and sociological aspects that come to play when we look at this. And yeah, so it's it's fairly easy to when you are in a very privileged position to be able to say, "Well, I have this plan, and I'm going to execute it, and I will have this." system that enables me to do it, it's much more difficult and much more challenging to look at it when you are a person that is in an underrepresented group, whatever your background might be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And, and it's probably also true the other way around for someone like me who is basically in that privileged group to say, hey, I am, I'm just coasting here a bit because I know it's going to be fine, right? Because I don't need to basically think about it much.
2: I mean, recently I, I stumbled over this tweet of a transgender woman, and she had put down the statistics for her applications. And when she was sending applications with her dead name, and uh, she got, I think, a response rate of what was it, thirty or forty percent, and okay. then with her her name, her her actual name, of course, uh, it was it was abysmal in comparison. And then I have people talking a lot about it. it's a funnel problem, and we don't have yeah, enough sure. women in tech, and so it it is a funnel problem. But not exclusively, it's you have to look at it from various angles and various sides. And I know the stories. Uh, I've I've had my experiences, and I can tell. Yeah, it's it's tough out there, and. They have, they have, some have built up survival strategies and, and and coping mechanisms and go through with that. Uh, others have found environments that enable them and that's great. And then others just leave. Just leave. That's that's a tragic thing. They they change roles or they leave or they and 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 that's where we have sort of this this double funnel problem at the beginning and at the end, if you want to mm-hmm. call it the end, or at least let's say at the the the, the later stages. Um, and that is. Yeah, very fascinating for me to study. And I will probably dive into this for the next, I don't know, three or four decades. There is there's enough there's enough content to go through and enough information. And that also obviously powers me and my advocacy work because I can be a a role model in what I do and how I mirror the spec, but I can also pave a path for other people, whether it's directly through the power that I have or indirectly through my actions and how I influence others.
1: I mean, I guess we should dedicate a whole episode. That I would really like to do, We <laughs> dedicate a whole episode to how do we increase the, the amount of women into, into our teams. Because, I mean, my current experience is that, guess who's again the only woman mm. on the team?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's the same on my team, right? There's one woman.
2: Oh, a cl- classical sentence I often hear is, yeah, we have we have one woman on the team, and she's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, <laughs> she's part of the team, why wouldn't she be good? Uh, so it's like, you have to have this sort of underline, you know, but she's great, she's doing so well. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah otherwise yeah. she wouldn't be in that position, because exactly. probably she... She has already faced some hurdles that other people haven't faced that that uh, came into this role. and That's also what I hear a lot, right? Um, like when, when this starts, were well, there not only women hired and so forth? And no, it's not. It's you create opportunities and then those opportunities are being used. And everybody, at least if you have fair processes, everybody has to go through the same processes and pass those processes with the added uh, perspective of people in the processes, also having bias. And yes. uh, if you then go through the process and you pass the process, you already even overcame that bias, which is another testament <laughs> to... So, so it, it's, it's so systemic and it's often not intentional. That's also something that we should be very aware of that most people out there don't have any intentional biases. They're very much unconscious. And that's another challenge that we face. Um, and that's, by the way, something that in my teams I've tackled very proactively. I have given workshops on proactive communication. Uh, sorry, on positive communication, and we talk about things like bias, and we talk about um, things that might be uncomfortable topics. But for me, that's important because that is that makes the team fabric as well. And we talked in in the positive communication workshop. We talked intensely about. Uh, microaggressions and oftentimes they're mm. not intended somebody doesn't sit there and say oh i'm going to share some microaggressions to my colleagues today ha 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 this will be fun this is not how it works it just your socialization and everything that you have been raised with and impacted upon with that makes you who you are and how you express yourself and it's in 80 90% of cases it's not intentional but it's still perceived as something that is a microaggression and that can then negatively impact. So feedback and mirroring with each other and thinking about that, reflecting, it all circles back to the same mechanisms again. But it does help. It does help a lot in making yourself aware of your conscious and unconscious biases that you carry with yourself. And it, while it's not perfect, it at least levels the playing field a little bit. Let's put it yeah. that way.
1: And by the way, this is something that... I mean, we're right now we're speaking about women in tech because we are women and we are in tech, and this is a technical podcast. Uh, but I have raised uh, similar questions when uh, it uh, it comes to uh, HR or marketing. At diversity in a team doesn't mean that you have more women. Period. A, a team of I I think. That in my part in my previous company, one of the biggest loss we have suffered was that we had a person that was identifying as male in uh, our HR team, and he left, and that I think just reduced uh, the, the the diversity of of that team and reduced the efficacy of the team.
2: And and it's not just the the, the, the male female aspect. It's when you look at, at it, and and Oban, you mentioned it as well. People on the neurodivergent spectrum. Yes. The most common, common forms are ADHD and autism. Those are the two that we at least have a basic understanding of what they are about um, mm-hmm. oftentimes. But there are so many other manifestations of neurodiversity. And we do know that a very high percentage of specifically engineers live with neurodiversity. And then you have all the hidden disability and chronic illness that people don't talk about, but it's there. Some mm-hmm. have status, some have don't. Uh, now, I work in an environment where we have people from all over the world. In my teams, I have people from uh, the Dominican Republic and Brazil to India. So you have, you have people from all over the globe and you have different faith, you have different experiences, you have different outlooks on life. And when, and, and particularly when, when people, let's say, from other continents come to Europe, how would you feel when you come to a team? And everybody is, let's say, German, right? And then whenever you're not there, they speak German to each other and you're the only one. And then, oh, let's let's generously switch to English when the person joins. It's also not cool. It's also not cool. So there are a lot of other dimensions. Ageism is a big thing in tech. Big, big thing. I had this whole conversation about I want people on my teams that are not necessarily in their 20s and 30s. Yes. They bring so much experience from their careers, whether they had another career previously, like in a different field, or um, whether they have been coders for, I don't know, 20, 25 years. I actually have a team member um, who has that experience. And I, I, I want them to bring that to the teams, just as I want the juniors that come onto the team, particularly the juniors that come right out of boot camp or university or other forms of self-training or vocational training I want them to bring that 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 perspective to the team. But it works really well when you have a spectrum represented that mm-hmm. doesn't always vibe at first and you need to bond with each other, but when it does, the the magic that is created is amazing. And most often when we look at at teams in tech, you see probably men between 25 and 40 yeah and probably white
0: just at the limit right i turned 40 yesterday so (laughs) 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 not long anymore (laughs) almost almost over my career
2: (laughs) (laughs) so so now now, you you will you will look more attractive to recruiters because you represent a different age group right Uh, so you will get more more messages hopefully i don't know but it's like (laughs) i'm I'm talking about that but the, the the topic is serious and and particularly when we look at how technology is evolving and how, how quick there are new, I don't know, frameworks coming out and all of that good stuff. Yes, it is moving very quickly, but you want to have a certain level of experience in the team as well. But you also want to have fresh perspectives. You want to have the whole spectrum represented. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: I mean, it, sort yeah. of in this industry, it's not like, I mean, essentially nothing new has happened since the 70s from a technology perspective, apart from the computers <laughs> getting... Sp- sort of catching up to the sort of theoretical background right and this is sort of the, the 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 issue with this ageism is also that new people come and think they've found something new but <laughs> someone has developed found it in the 70s already right so you, yeah
2: yeah this, I, I recently uh, researched the age of programming languages and then when I see that some of them go back to the what 1980s 1970s, I'm like, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, they, oh, they're even older than me. Cool. So yeah, it's I I that I would put a put a definite check mark on that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and I think especially on the age that makes a, a team and a company more humane because you want to have people in your team that have different priorities than the business. I I just had this conversation uh, not long ago and, and I said it clearly, like if you want to keep certain rhythms, then you have to actively avoid hiring these people because people with uh, children, people with uh, grandparents uh, in, or parents in their house, they have different needs and they won't be able to just, you know, jump, there in and say yeah sure let me postpone my dinner for two hours because uh, we have this uh, super fancy interview that we have to do, have it now. Different priorities in life to, I think make a good addition to the team. It would be good if we would take us a little bit less seriously sometimes.
0: Yeah, I mean if you're if you're not in the medical field, exactly. Then basically, if it's even if it's broken, what's the worst that can happen? Basically, yeah.
2: Monica, when you were just going into your description, uh, you mentioned business, and I think that's also something that is completely underestimated at times when we look at specifically software engineering teams is the understanding of business and product. Mm-hmm. like. I always see it as, like, well, I shouldn't say I always see it, but when you when you encounter somebody who does not only have a technical ability, but also has a genuine understanding or a deep interest in understanding the product and the business side of things, and then marries that with the technical ability that they have, this is amazing. And this can also invigorate a whole team. So we shouldn't underestimate that side as well. Uh, that just came to mind when you when you started with your description, because obviously that, that influences hiring and our understanding of hiring as well, but also how we challenge the teams and how we see them evolving. And I think business and product understanding, not to the full degree, but at least to a certain degree is essential in building a good and, and uh, self-governing team, if you want to call it that. I
1: think everybody, literally everybody should have some degree of business uh, understanding people that don't work strictly in a product company or in a product team. I can't see why they might have that on the back burner. I think in the long run, it might hinder your career a little bit because it reduces the pool of companies that you can can apply to. But um, a business understanding is certainly fundamental. That that trade off between what the business needs are and what your function and uh, needs are is uh, is fundamental. I mean, that's why we have we should have this healthy tension between all the different functions, because only by negotiating and again really looking at the goal as a common goal, we can achieve uh, success as a company. Uh, it's like if we were there polishing our engineering. Um, um, how do you call that? Artifact. Tur-
0: turd. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Thank you. <laughs> um, would you bring that much value to the user? Would someone use your product? Uh, would you really be uh, the best engineer? I mean, yeah. Anyways. Um, one last question, if you have uh, a little bit more time and energy.
2: I do. Shoot.
1: Fantastic. Uh, I used as a teaser the fact that you have uh, a, a lot of reports Um I'm still curious to hear what is the team structure? Uh, how do you manage having such uh, big teams and uh, what are what makes those dynamics of such big teams different from dynamics of uh, smaller teams? If, you have that experience
2: too i think before i delve into the details i should uh, uh, clarify that uh, having 20 or having had 24 reports it did not mean that they were all in the same team so when i started out i had two teams then i was i had three teams for a while and then i handed off one team and then i had two teams and then i split one team and now wow. i'm handing of two teams, which leaves me with one team for the next couple of months. <laughs> and then I will execute another team split and then I will have two teams again. So it's always like this back and forth, two, one, two, three, four, two. And okay. so, so you're always like, yeah, you the know, hyper growth. Again, you, the, the, the fact that we have the opportunity to be able to do these things just shows how well we are doing. And mm-hmm. that is is a very good sign for me at the end of the day. But it also brings a lot of challenges that come with it. So I think the context switching that you have with one team is definitely extended when you have several teams. I cannot uh, attend every single daily of the team. Oftentimes they overlap. So I have to be very mindful with my resources. Where do I go? What do I prioritize? So it's a consistent exercise of prioritization and deprioritization. And you also need to make sure that you have your fingers on the pulse of wherever, whenever something is happening that your attention should be on that. For example, if you know that somebody is going through a hard time, then you check in with them a little bit more often, of course. But I I would say I I approached the whole thing, particularly when I had three teams and particularly when I had 24 people in two teams, I did it very structuredly and systematically. So I had a couple of rules that I followed and usually i'm more like hey what works for you as my team member but since i was the bottleneck in a lot of the things mm-hmm. i had to basically be like okay this is how we're going to do it and <laughs> this is how you're going to you know follow follow just follow uh the structure and everything will be fine so i had a rule for example i still have the rule where i don't have one-on-ones on mondays and fridays this okay. is for me they are sacred days with with some exceptions of course but um, I know one-on-ones because that helps me to get into the week and to ease out of the week as well. And, uh, I also have, I know my biorhythm best. So I know that I prefer to have my one-on-ones in the morning and then my team members are a little bit more on the afternoon side of things. <laughs> <laughs> so we found good middle ground, some in the morning, some in the afternoon, And I also introduced the three-week rhythm. And I actually took that on from my amazing colleagues. They basically said, look, two weeks doesn't work for me. Let's do three weeks. So I have a three-week rhythm with everyone. And I'd rather have a longer one-on-one every three weeks than have a sync every week and not Mm -hmm. have sort of that focus on the person. It's Sometimes things build up, yes, and it's better to address them in between. So I'm always available still. So even if you don't have a one-on-one with me, you can send me a question and I'll get back to it when I can. Um, And I'd rather, and I also tell my team members, if there is something on your mind, if there is something that you need to address, please don't wait. Tell me, tell me in the chat, give me a little context. And then I might even be able to research a little bit on that and and come prepared to our one-on-one. So I I basically set up this whole structure where my schedule, my calendar is optimized to the T. Like this is... (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's (laughs) super
1: important. Yeah.
2: I had like a colleague of mine once said, uh, Franziska is very structured in this. If she says she has 45 minutes for you, she has exactly 45 minutes for you. <laughs> so this is essentially how it goes. And I have obviously my times where I usually don't have meetings unless it's an emergency. So I like to have not have meetings after five o'clock. So this helps a lot. And then you need to be very strategic with what are the current team topics. And again, you need to prioritize. Is Does a team have a little bit more coaching necessity? Then you prioritize that team for a while. And once you see that things go back to a good level, you then turn your attention a little bit more towards the other team and so forth. And while this is all going on, you obviously also have the onboardings, yeah, you're consistently hiring and so forth. So for me, I think the magic is in having the the very personal exchanges with all of my team members, but also with the stakeholders. Because I would be nothing in my role without the functional lead input. And I, of course, rely on my peers to provide me with information and context in the organization. So to make sure that there is a good balance between enough exchanges, but not too many exchanges, but then making those exchanges qualitative. I think that's Mm -hmm. where, for me... My whole, like my, my, my planned out schedule is one thing. And then that's the magic that comes on top of that. But I also, and I have to underline that I also realized it was a lot and I was working a lot. And that's why I said, I need to scale down for a while. And I talked to my manager and uh, now we have a, a plan where a new colleague takes over one of my teams, which means that I can scale down for a while. And then I build up, in turn, I build up the the uh, next team that we have that is coming up. So it's a, it's a give and take, I would say. And you need to have that network in the company, that network of peers as well that support you, be it for those kind of things, or also be it for things where you have a challenging scenario and you need some supervision. You just need to talk to a person yes. about that that has gone through similar things and can Listen to you and not come in with this classic stance of "I'll I'll tell you how to do it," but does it in a coaching way and ask the right questions so that you can find your own path and your own orientation. So we do this a lot mutually, and, and I think this is also very very important to have that um, yeah that structure and that that support system that network within the company, and yeah and always focus on that that good relationship establishment with whomever you are interacting with, be that person in your team be that a peer be that your manager if it's qualitative you will have great results and most often some follow-ups after one-on-ones yes it's like one-on-ones always without follow-ups that's for sure (laughs)
1: yes
2: (laughs) yeah and you can probably empathize with this right you always think oh that's one-on-one but then yeah there are a couple of items that come out of that and that need to be taken care of as well yeah, I can
1: definitely relate to, the, to what you said about, uh, I was like, okay, it's just too chaotic now. Just follow my plan. I would like to hear your opinion, but now it's not the time. We do not have
2: time. <laughs> I mean, I've, I always make time for that. If somebody says to me, Franziska, I need open ears and I need yes. half an hour with you, I always make time because I know it's important. The only I actually have to encourage my team members to take that time, I have to be like, if it's important for you, so let's set up a meeting. But I don't want to infringe upon you. And no, 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 let's set it up, let's set it up. Exactly. And it always proves to be right. That human connection cannot be underestimated. And that's for me, that's I, I rarely use that terminology because it's connected to faith, but that for me is sacred, mm-hmm. it's absolutely sacred. And the only thing that is very important is that you don't do it at the detriment of yourself and to hear the alarm signs as well. And once you do, you need to take steps to make sure that you remain healthy mentally and physically. Because if, if you as the manager are not there, the world still will go on. The world still will turn. Everything will be fine. But it, there's definitely an element missing. And it, that, that's why you should always prioritize that first. And that's, I think, one of my, my mantras for the second half of this year, to be very mindful of that. Thank
1: you for noting that. I can relate to that too. As managers, especially with, with the new style that we were talking about before, like this more uh, human-centered and uh, servant leadership uh, style, for people like, like me, uh, it's really easy to go into this uh, slippery slope. Oh, but the team needs me, and it, this is needed. This is needed, and erode. I mean, the, 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 literally the ground I stand on. And I totally agree. If you tip, things will work out for a while, but then something else has to uh, has to happen. Either you uh, are back to your full self, mindful self or someone else has to uh, take your your place because it's uh, a team, despite whatever is, uh, is set out there, teams still do need this kind of orchestrating work, this uh, care for the people in the team. Uh, teams should be autonomous, true, but you need a gardener for uh, making them really, really effective.
0: Sort of not to forget, I mean, even you as managers, you are sort of Even for you, the company shouldn't come first, right? Uh, This is sort of the fundamental thing that it's in the end, as much as you like the people, it is just a business transaction, right? You provide something and they pay your money for it. And you need to take care of yourself.
2: Whatever you do, if there is a new colleague coming or worst case happens and you have have to take a, a health leave or something like that, if you can, do a thorough handover. This is, mm-hmm. I think this is the, the point where a lot of managers are not set up for success when they join a company because they, they lack the background and the backstory to things. And I have made it my business to make sure that handovers are very, very thorough. And so, so that the, the, the handover is very seem or feels seamless to the team members. It's obviously not the same and you still have to build up relationships, but there's a huge difference between a manager coming on and, yeah, so now get started, you know, and, and you're just, okay. Uh, or you have a good context of not just the tech stack that the team is using or the product that they're working on or the hiring requirements and the pipelines, but also the people themselves. And how that correlates with the wider organization and, and the system. Because essentially, essentially, we're all in systems and we work in systems. So that's, that's I think, one of the golden rules of management is to always do thorough handovers. No matter if you go on holidays or if you hand over, do thorough handovers. Cannot <laughs> agree more.
0: <laughs> I spent my day, my last day, basically, writing down everything I ever wanted to do in the coming weeks and never got around to before <laughs> I go on holiday so that it doesn't sort of sort of stay in my head for another four weeks and then I come back and nothing has happened.
2: <laughs> and then Urban, well, you were like, so colleague one does this and colleague two does this and when I'm back, everything is done, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I just provided a list and people can do or not do whatever they want. It's unfortunate.
1: Because that would have been a very, very amazing feat. <laughs> Ta-da! I've done all the work
2: and I wasn't there either. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah, but that, that is the, the like, you do have, sometimes you have those kind of moments because uh, recently when I handed over to the new colleague, uh, they offered to do something right away, which I wouldn't have expected them to do. And it was an amazing feeling. I had, this was a week where I felt the sense of headspace and I was like, thank you, new colleague for taking that on. This is great. This is teamwork. I feel wonderful, right? Because not because I had, I didn't have to do the work, but I knew that it was off of my to-do list and I knew that they would take great care of it.
1: That's amazing.
2: Yeah, and I, I told them so. I feedback them so so they know. Uh, but yeah, it was it was amazing to have that. Oh oh well, I don't need to do anything anymore. This is great. Okay, on to other stuff. <laughs> 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 like this realization of ah, there it is. <laughs>
1: magic, <laughs> magic. Um, but yeah, cannot can, couldn't agree more on the on the handover. I spent the last I think the last month and a half uh, in my last job writing down handoffs for all the people that were reporting to me really good written down and and thorough performance review so that their next manager whoever that was first of all they would have something to start working with so i cannot say i know this person but i have some you know some material to start with but on the other hand it's also again for the people in your team to me that was a, a sign of the care and uh, yes, also the love that I that I had towards them, yeah. because I want to make sure that they get the best treatment they can, even if I'm not there.
2: Y- you're speaking from my heart. You are speaking from my heart because I mean, there's still a the line between how you care for someone professionally and how you care for someone privately, mm-hmm. and it's also good to have that line. Otherwise, we circle back to that over overdoing it and and uh, depleting your own resources. But I have genuine care for my team members and I want the best for them in whatever context that is. And one of the things that I can show this with is something like that and and providing them with really thorough in-depth feedback, positive and constructive. And that is is an amazing baseline for any new manager to look at and be like, ah, so this is the, the progression that they had. And they can look back at the feedbacks of the last years and feel like, yeah, I see. I, I see it manifested in the text how this person grew, and yeah, it, it gives them a much much better sense for the for the individual. Yeah, I'm I'm so for that. I'm so. I, I yeah, I'm very enthusiastic about that.
1: <laughs> Virtual high five.
2: <laughs> Virtual <laughs> high five. Yeah, I'm, you cannot see it, but I'm raising my hand. Same. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, folks, we have been talking for I think an
1: hour and almost a half. I guess um, this is a sign that we might need a second uh, interview, but I would call it a day for today. Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. Okay. Then thank you so much for bearing with all our questions. It has been even better than I uh, had foreseen. I really enjoyed the conversation and I can only vouch for the kind of person that that you are it's uh, it's just amazing to see you out there in the world and i uh, wish you all the best
2: thank you so much it was amazing to have been on and uh yeah thank you for inviting me and uh giving me this platform um i thoroughly enjoyed myself as well and i'm looking forward to the next episodes as well
0: Yay. <laughs> nice and Effie, if you want to sort of follow anyone here uh we'll put links to various places in the show notes yes all right so when you hear this, I will be back from holiday, but uh, today I will be going on holiday. So very nice uh, uh, finish to my uh, working week, I would say. <laughs> All right, bye bye. Bye, people.